bullshit, it's all just um gay politics. America's gotten kind of whack, but we're not gonna let it go down like that, cause we got a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. We probably don't have all the facts, but we got opinions and we'll probably backtrack. That's why it's a dumb gay podcast, a dumb gay political podcast. Ooh, it's all shit, it's all shit. It's all shit. It's all shit. I mean, are we gonna die? I don't know. I, I, you're extreme. I am extreme. It's all shit. Uh uh. This shit is bananas. B A A A A A S. This shit is Trumpanas. T R U M P A N A N A S. What? I don't know. I don't even know. Hey everybody, welcome to Dumb Gay Politics. I'm Julie. And I'm Brandy. And this is the podcast where we talk about the week in coronavirus politics, like we're talking about reality TV. And the Real Housewives of Coronavirus got a surprise mid-season renewal, <laughs> thanks to the Delta variant. That, mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. what? Kat Sadler is the newest cast member, and mm-hmm. she's really become the breakout star mm-hmm. of the breakthrough cases. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing like getting double vaccinated <laughs> and still getting that long-haul COVID. Yeah, it gives you real a real sense of um, security and comfort and trust. Kat really, Sadler really hasn't has... gotten this much press since she was on E. <laughs> That's true. I mean, That's true. That I'm like, true. wow. I don't even know. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I, um, I don't know either. I mean, <laughs> I honestly don't know either. We're just in a... You know, it's like I've said before, we're in a situation where we've got Band-Aids on, but Band-Aids still can get infections. You know, shit gets under the Band-Aid. You never know. Also, what's going on under the Band-Aid? Sometimes you put something on a Band-Aid, you put a thing on it, and you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Then you take a Band-Aid, and I'm like, oh, my God! Yeah, something's festering and growing and multiplying. So we don't know. We don't know. We're just going to keep our masks on. What else can we do? What else can we do? I mean, Better safe than sorry. May as well just be safe. Vaccinated people are spreading it. Unvaccinated <laughs> are spreading it. Yes. It's uh, fucked up. It's just. It's fucked we're up. We're all just spreading it around. <laughs> yeah. Spreading it. And just. It's just. And shout out to Andrea Chavez. Meow, meow. Mm-hmm. She called in. She was the one who called oh. in when we were on Jeff Lewis's okay. show. Mm-hmm. She totally made us look like we have more than 14 listeners. That was nice. Yeah. And after. Um, she sent us a message on her Patreon podcast and said, Hey, ladies, I called when you were on Jeff Lewis, and I feel like I kind of shocked you. As one of the three crossover fans that listen to both shows, uh, I'm happy to hear that you'll be on again. Well, my favorite part about that message is that <laughs> I, I really enjoyed hearing that we have three, just three, crossover fans. Yeah. Thank you to those three crossover <laughs> fans. Um, who... who who, who they are, one can only guess. But I know Andrea Chavez is one of the original 14 listeners of this yeah. podcast. Mm-hmm. She's been a subscriber to our Patreon podcast since the very first month. We started it back in August wow. 2017. Our four-year Patreon anniversary is coming up. Mm. It's our Patreon anniversary. <laughs> and she's been there for us since the very beginning. And that means so much to us, right, Mama? Oh, my God. Of course. Anyone who's been there from the beginning. It's, yeah. How can we thank you? How can we thank you? If it wasn't for the people who pay for our Patreon podcast, we wouldn't be here. I mean, I think about what would have happened to us during the pandemic. Uh, Honestly, like we would I'd be living in my car. Yeah, we would be so screwed without our Patreon. And because 
we certainly don't make any money on this, no matter how many ads we do. That's right. (laughs) So if you're new here and you'd rather hear us talk about something other than politics, you should pop over and check out our Patreon podcast. Seriously, there's no politics. There's no ads. It's easy. Uh, Everyone who's on there loves it. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. We do two extra hour long podcasts a week. There's an unlocked one that's free for you to try before you sign up. Just scroll through the locked podcast until you get to September 2020 and see the episode titled Windows Up Sing Time and then just press play and see if you like it. Is that what this free episode is called? I mean, we say it every Windows time. Up Sing Time. And that really is one of our better. That's the one where I was walking through Lamps Plus and they were having the audacity right. to play Footloose. Yes. And yes. Mm hmm. And I was like, don't. And you want to sing along. Yeah. And and people want to dance as well. Ah, yes, that's right. They wanted to dance. And then we talked about how you are in your car and what, you know, Yeah. that I don't. I'm a I have no shame. No. When it comes to what I listen to, including a Barry Manilow. We got a package from one of our favorite Patreon celebrity couples, (laughs) Mike and Andres, who started the cutest fucking candle company in the pandemic called Wick Effects Candle Company. Mm They sent us a package of candles last year. Your favorite was Gentleman Caller. <laughs> I love. And my favorite was Christmas Sweater. Mm-hmm. I loved that candle so much that I bought two more after the holidays <laughs> when it went on sale on their website. <laughs> Christmas tree candles are so fucking hard to find yeah. around the holidays. Mm-hmm. And they're literally the only thing I like about Christmas. <laughs> exactly. And you gave my half-burned Gentleman Caller candle to our friend who shall remain nameless when he drove to my house in the middle of the night to bring me three painkillers after my knee replacement surgery. Yeah. And then he said he fucking loved it and said his bedroom has never smelled so masculine. (laughs) Well, now my bedroom gets to smell masculine again, thanks to Mike and Andres. Hey, girls, we just wanted to reach out with some love. Thank you for the hilarious commentary you continue to provide to all of us 14 listeners. Julie, happiest belated birthday. Oh, I know how much you loved our gentleman collar candle, so we wanted you to have two of our newest items, a 16-ounce double-wick jar of gentleman collar and our gentleman collar room and linen spray. I love to keep mine in the bathroom or car. Brandy, feel free to fight Julie for the other two items. LOL. Love, light, and drugs. Mike, Andres, and Patchouli. Oh. Patchouli, their boo-boo. We have their dog even on our, oh. our drugged and bolts and boards. Oh. We have their picks. They're at Harry Potter World. Patchouli is so cute, like a wiener dog. What's the oh, a dachshund, right? Yeah. That's the official uh-huh. name. Uh-huh. They're so cute. We love them. Ugh. And listen, while I love a fucking room spray, so does Meow Meow. So there will be no, that's clearly yours. <laughs> I will be taking the other two candles, which are Sweet Irene, which Ooh. smells like sweet pea and jasmine. Mm. And then Swizzle Stick, described as juicy, ripe, and drunk. And I think that belongs to me, clearly. Wow. It smells like... It smells like a like a pina colada, maybe mixed with like sex on the beach. It's not a mm, straight pina colada. It's, it's some kind of great island cocktail. That sounds good. Yeah, it, they're gorgeous. Thank you guys so much. I, 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 we're obsessed with, with, with these candles and everybody should go to wickeffects.com immediately. You can get three candles for $45. It's such a good deal. They didn't even ask us to promote it and look at what we're doing. But like our DGP babies, we take full credit for all businesses started during this podcast. <laughs> so we have a personal stake in WickFX. We're like part owners at yeah. this point. Yeah. I'm waiting for them to come out with a dumb gay politics set, which smells like <laughs> self-righteousness and hangovers. Get to working on it, boys. Or how about a DGP Patreon scent, which smells cheap and chaotic. <laughs> and late. 
Michelle from Texas, uh-huh. meow meow, yes. who handmade us the little cute cat and dog toys we have around here, like the little fishy, the yes. little pig. Mm-hmm. They're so cute. She sent us more handmade treats <gasps> for our moms mm. this time, mm-hmm. which is really going to give us the clout we've been looking for oh. with Pam Forget and Phyllis. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, Michelle, you've really, you've really hit into an area we didn't know we needed and we needed it mm-hmm. immediately. When I told my mom, I mean, bitch damn near lost her mind. I was like, well, <laughs> Michelle from our Patreon podcast sent, sent, sent you and Phyllis a treat. I mean, they're in separate gift bags labeled. So we're just going to send the gift bags with the handmade treat right, right in the mail. Yes. And I'm going to tell Phyllis uh, when I mail it, I'm going to say that it's in the mail and then she's going to know it's coming. And that's when, cause I don't want her to forget because God knows I'll tell her, and she'll be like, oh, wow, why would that? And then it'll show up and she'll be like, what is this? And they'll be like, yeah, you forgot that I told you. Yeah, that please. Michelle made you something. Yeah. This is how many huge and how many it's just a sheer number of listeners we have. <laughs> the sheer number. Dear Brandy and Julie, just wanted to express my appreciation again. This time I made things for your moms. Much love to you, too. Didn't sign it. Michelle is very, very, very <laughs> mysterious. Okay. I swear Great. when she sent us the treats last year, she made us. Are, she like drew the pictures with we have with Lady Red and Johnny. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh, and yeah. it's labeled Michelle from Texas. And yeah. now Michelle's in California. So I don't know, <laughs> Michelle, we need to get out of your business. She's in the witness protection program. Mm-hmm, but just mm-hmm, keep the treats mm-hmm. coming. Yeah. We don't need any for our fathers. <laughs> I say the moms will be the most impressed. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I feel that you should definitely start a business, Michelle, because you I honestly you found a niche marketing that I, I really didn't know. I was like, this nailed it. Like yeah. nothing ever has, like since we would be, I would try and troll to be recognized when we were on people's couch mm-hmm. when I was over with my parents. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, is anyone going to recognize me in front of my parents? But this is like pretty much giving that, me those feels. Yeah, well, it's exactly that. Yeah. It's exactly it's, that. It's, it's so great. Good. Yeah. Last but not least, you got a cartoon book called Whose Boat Is This Boat? <laughs> and other comments that don't help in the aftermath of a hurricane Ugh. by Donald J. Trump accidentally. Yeah. Happy birthday, Julie. I hope you don't have your own copy. I forgot to send it and remembered while listening to your B-Day podcast. Warmest regards from Anne. Don't use my last name. Okay. <laughs> so we're not going to use her last yeah. name. But thank you, Anne. This, yes, thank you. This book is hilarious. Hilarious. Um, this book is comprised solely of comments spoken by President Donald J. Trump in the wake of Hurricane Florence on September 19th, 2018 in New Bern, North Carolina. So apparently he literally said, whose boat? is this boat whose boat is this boat the the animation in it the cartoon drawings Ugh. are so cute yeah it's a big sort of like picture book it's not long it's it's great so it's a whole thing about the boat which apparently he saw and then just couldn't stop couldn't stop like he just wouldn't ver- stop the verbal diarrhea yeah what is that page read us that page you're looking at to now. see what we're seeing this boat i don't know what happened but this boat just came here so so someone's <laughs> Poor discarded hurricaned out boat floated up and then they were like, whose boat is this boat? And it's like, yes, someone who may be dead, honestly, and their property is now destroyed and their lives are destroyed. And and you're concerned about how you can get the boat and fix it up and keep it. (laughs) And he said, at least you got a nice boat out of the deal. And then threw threw hot dogs at people (laughs) and then said, have a good time. They're going to be like, well, free boat. I just nothing else free boat. He's there's people standing around the boat. So he's just basically like, well, is this your boat? It's not your boat. You don't know whose boat it is. Well, I guess you got a good boat out of the deal then. Hey, here's some hot dogs. Like (laughs) 
he is just a fucking i just i can't I, it's just you just it just you just uh, it's thank you ann <laughs> All right, instead of doing our usual check-in with JoJo and Kiki, we're going to find out what the Republicans are cock-blocking now. I'm a victim of the nine. Stop. Cock-block. I'm getting sick of all the nine. Stop. Cock-block. I'm a victim of the nine. Stop. Cock-block. I'm getting sick of all the nine. Stop. This is our segment called What the Republicans are Cock-Blocking Now. The premise is pretty self-explanatory. Republican lawmakers at the federal, state, or local level cock-block Democratic legislation and progressive agenda items. This week, Republicans in Congress cock-blocked the nonpartisan January 6th commission for the second time. Okay, so we don't talk about this topic a lot because, frankly, we don't care. It's obvious to anyone with common sense that Republicans and QAnons and extremist groups got together on Facebook and Parler and planned the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Remember Parler? That was where they all met and made their violent plans before it got shut down and everyone moved over to 4chan. Ah, <laughs> oh, six months ago. It seems like six years ago. And that's my point. We don't care about the January 6th attack anymore. We know who did it, and we know Trump and his cronies egged it on. Which, by the way, is probably not even technically illegal. <laughs> right. And what we don't know, we probably are never going to find out. And certainly not from any nonpartisan commission. Things like which Republican Congress members gave tours to the insurrectionists? Which FBI and CIA members buried information or ignored it? Why did Michael Flynn's brother not call in the National Guard to help protect the Capitol when the chief of the Metropolitan Police called and asked for backup? Which Capitol Police officers were in on it? Was it the ones who conspicuously killed themselves? And why did several Capitol Police officers <laughs> kill themselves? And why does no one ever mention it? And why do Republicans in Congress who claim to care about law and order and blue lives weirdly not give a flying fuck about these particular police officers? We have so many questions about the corruption and collusion that led intellectually inferior adult trolls right into Nancy Pelosi's personal office. And much like with Trump's collusion with Russia, we will never find out the truth. Correct. Never. <laughs> Literally never. No. Nope. Because the truth doesn't stop at Trump and Giuliani and Ivanka <laughs> and Don Jr. That's why. That's why we'll never find yeah. out. The truth involves the Capitol Police and the United States military and many, 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 many Republicans sitting in Congress right now. And probably even some Democrats, quite frankly. And that's not the truth anyone wants. The only truth anyone has time for is one that fully and completely blames Trump and his followers, in our opinion. Right, Memo? <laughs> That's correct. That said, our queen. Queen. The Speaker of the House, Nance Pelosi. Nance Pelosi. Has been trying to form a nonpartisan commission to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol and those involved since January 7th. Mm -hmm. The first signs of a Republican cock block came in March when Captain Cockblock himself, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, literally blocked Senate Republicans from voting yes to form the commission in the first place. He blocked them. Something like seven Republican senators voted yes on forming the commission, but the bill needed 10 Republicans to pass and it didn't make it. Thanks to old Mitch McCockblock. At that point, Nance Pelosi, who was third in line to the presidential throne and the most powerful woman in the free world before Kiki became vice president, 
said that she would go ahead and form a commission in the House of Representatives and Mitch McConnell could take the Senate and his constant cock blocking and go fuck himself. This brings us to last week when Nance Pelosi was finalizing the members of the select committee in the House, which again was meant to be nonpartisan and contain five Democrats from the House of Representatives and five Republicans from the House of Representatives. But the Republican cock blocking does not stop with Mitch McConnell. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is another well-known cock blocking soup cookie. Him and his wrestle molesting Trump cronies in the House have been resisting efforts by Democrats to investigate January 6th since the week it happened. Literally, literally the week after the insurrection, Kevin McCockblock went down and visited Trump in Florida at his QAnon country club, Vitiligo. <laughs> He's always been a complete and utter shill. He put MAGA monster Marjorie Taylor Greene on the House Education Committee, even though she believes that on 9-11, a plane never crashed into the fucking Pentagon and that Hollywood elites steal adrenal glands from children so they can stay young. Kevin McCarthy has always been a Trump jock soldier, <laughs> and he proved it yet again when he selected Jim Jordan from Ohio and Jim Banks from Indiana as two of the five Republicans to serve on the House Special Committee to investigate January 6th. Jim Jordan is a piece of shit Ohio congressman who on his best day is just a meathead ex-wrestling coach accused of covering up for a physician who mass molested the Ohio State wrestling team. On his worst day, he's a Trump dick licker who has no business serving on a select committee to investigate January 6th because he literally called the initial bill for the select committee impeachment round three. And he also voted to overturn the electoral college results of the presidential win on January 6th. Do you hear what I'm saying? The man cannot serve on a commission to investigate the moronic monsters who stormed the Capitol when he was on their side. He literally agreed with the white saltines who stormed the Capitol. <laughs> and Jim Banks is an Indiana Mike Penceian pussy who also <laughs> voted against the Electoral College results on January 6th and said on record that the special committee was created to, quote, malign conservatives oh and to justify the left's authoritarian agenda. Mm. The guy is a professional Trump jizz clown who would never be approved to serve on the committee. And the fact that Kevin McCockblock selected him and Jim Jordan shows that House Republicans never took the committee seriously and did everything in their power to disrail it. But Nance Pelosi was having none of it. She's been boss bitching this whole thing from minute one. She didn't give a single fuck that Mitch McCockblock stopped the committee in the Senate. She was glad because now she's even more in control of the whole thing. And that's exactly how she played it with Kevin McCarthy. She was never going to allow him or his corrupt Republican rubes with their MAGA agenda lurking on a legit nonpartisan committee. How do you convince people on the other side of the aisle that what's going to go on in this committee is going to be bipartisan and truly get to the truth yeah. It's not even, it isn't even bipartisan, nonpartisan. It's about seeking an, uh, the truth, and that's what we owe the American people. And uh, probably the biggest incentive for that is that the more, uh, the less partisan it is, the more it will be accepted by the American, by the American people. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not talking about him. Okay, what else you got? No, I'm not. I'm not concerned. And I'm, I mean, let's not waste each other's time. Okay. Okay, we got to hear that it again. It is. The more it will be accepted by the American. Let's hear it again. By the American people. Yeah. 
You know, I'm not talking about him. Okay, what else you got? No, I'm not. I'm not concerned. And I'm, I mean, let's not waste each other's time, okay? My WAP is not concerned. It's enormous right now. Well, Nance Pelos might not have been concerned, but Kevin McCockblock was crying into his travel Viagra. Meow. He got owned by a liberal and a lady, and he couldn't take it. He's a pretentious puss-puss, just like his daddy Trump. And they don't know what to do, and Mommy sends them to time out and leaves them there for good. Pelosi has created a sham process. Unless Speaker Pelosi reverses course and seats all five Republicans, we will not participate. But we think it's too important that those two questions, why were we ill-prepared? Why did they know on December 14th? Why would they jeopardize the lives of the Capitol Police? We will run our own investigation. We have law enforcement. We have military. Sounds just like Trump. We have doctors. We yeah. have people from all law walks of life. They want to know the answer. The American people deserve that. They don't deserve politics. They don't deserve destroying the institution. Ugh. No committee in Congress will work if one person is picking all who can serve. This has not happened before. And by the way, the committee members that Nance Pelosi ultimately selected are Democrats, Benny Thompson from Mississippi, Pete Aguilar from California, Zoe Lefgren from California, Adam Schiff from California, Burbank, bitch. It, listen, it's our, what can we do? It's our rep. It's literally our rep, sorry, Adam Schiff. He's sorry. Hollywood, he's West Hollywood, he's Adam Schiff, but guess what? He's also Burbank, motherfucker. Oh, that's right. Elaine Loria from Virginia, Stephanie Murphy from Florida, Jamie Raskin from Maryland, and then the two Republicans are Liz Cheney from Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger from Illinois. This whole cock block happened within the span of like four days, those clips that we just played. Mm-hmm. And honestly, bitch is keeping it pushing, okay? <laughs> when she said that she wasn't concerned, she was serious. She is unbothered by the white male grievance train rolling through Capitol Hill. She has a hearing to put on and it's a no train zone, okay? So today, literally, the select committee put together by Nance Pelosi officially begun hearing the testimony from the Capitol Police officers. So Harry Dunn and Aquilino Gonell are Capitol Police officers. And then there's Metropolitan Police officers, Michael Fanoni and Daniel Hodges. So you've all seen these guys before. They've been all like over the news, yeah. being really vulnerable and forthcoming about what happened to them that day. And supposedly there's going to be some never before seen footage that will be revealed at some point in these hearings that I guess are going to keep going with new and new police officers. And hopefully, I mean, they they are going to have to subpoena. And as we know from the fucking Mueller investigation, like people will really be ignoring these these fake Congress subpoenas. Right. But they're going to subpoena people from the FBI and the CIA like. Really? I'm sure you're reading my fucking phone text, worried about my drug dealer, Mm -hmm. but you didn't know this was all going on right on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of it was right on Facebook. It wasn't like it was like password protected or anything. And not to mention that the current um, narrative of it was they hugged and kissed the police officers. That was really just a tourist event. It was very peaceful. And what about the looting that happens during Black Lives Matter? I mean, it's not it's far less. And it's like. Just from the little videos that they're, they've shown, 
we can clearly see with our own eyes it's different it's far worse and yeah. the level of destruction and it's not even just like oh they went into a building they looted da, 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 da. they went into the capitol building with zip ties and a noose and tried to stop they tried to they went in with it wasn't just protesting our rights it was right we are going to go in to stop the certification of the votes so that Joe Biden doesn't become president. That's a coup. That's an insurrection. That yeah, is not exactly. democracy. They, and they went in with weapons, like you said, yes. like and a, oh. tasers and like knives. And then they're like flagpoles. And, yeah. and they use things as weapons. Yeah. And they they were. And honestly, the Black Lives Matter protests went on for over like 200 straight days. Right. Like consecutively. Mm -hmm. And. The majority of those protests were people walking in streets and protesting. Right, right. And if 10 people roll up on a fucking store and loot it, <laughs> I am beyond unbothered about it. Yeah. I feel sorry for that. That business owner, they do have insurance. Mm -hmm. They did get paid for that. Mm -hmm. Those people are broke, disenfranchised, trying to get the come up. And you know what? If a CVS was laid open, I will roll on in and <laughs> grab some fucking lip liner. Okay. Not even going to say I wouldn't. This was a planned attack. It wasn't to steal the, you know what? I wish it was to go in there and steal laptops. It right, wasn't. Right. It was to go in and harm people, which they did. Yep. It was on one building. It was 10,000 people. Now, obviously not all 10,000 were violent, but even if it was 1,000 violent people against 150 officers, mm -hmm. even in the Black Lives Matter protest, there was not ever one time 1,000 people concentrated in one area right. that were violent. There just wasn't. Try and pr fucking prove me wrong. <laughs> Try it. Look it the fuck up. We were on those protests every single day. Yep. We do this podcast. It might. It could be... Even if it was 100 violent people who are breaking the windows of cop cars... It's totally different than a thousand people converging on one building. And hordes and hordes of people converging on those officers, too. And like, even if you can show this one beat up this one, this one pulled this one off the thing, whatever. Yeah. It's not nearly as horrific and horrendous and pointed and targeted as this particular thing was. And I know that they're also trying to say, well, that one lady got shot. And I'm going to say right now. Good. Good riddance. See ya, bitch. Good riddance. See ya, bitch. My only sadness about the whole thing is that uh, it was a woman that had to die. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Out of the hordes and hordes and hordes of racist piece of shit men. They didn't, they barely, that was the, I think that those police shot her and then they were like, oh, fuck, we're gonna, if they had opened, they could have killed a lot of people and they didn't. And they absorbed, they absorbed the violence. They didn't do the shooting. They absorbed it for yeah. the most part. Yeah. They killed one person who deserved it. Okay. This is a clip from today's hearing. It's Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn describing the overtone of racism that was rampant throughout the January 6th attack on the Capitol. We recorded it live so there are no bleeps, and it is very hard to listen to. Please be aware of your surroundings and the volume if you're listening to this on a speaker. If you're listening to this on headphones, keep in mind that it's extremely triggering and highly upsetting. More and more insurrectionists were pouring into the area by the speaker's lobby near the rotunda and some wearing MAGA hats and shirts that said Trump 2020. I told them to just leave the Capitol and in response okay. they yelled, no man, this is our house. President Trump invited us here. We're here to stop this deal. Joe Biden is not the president. Nobody voted for Joe Biden. 
I'm a law enforcement officer, and I do my best to keep politics out of my job. But in this circumstance, I responded, well, I voted for Joe Biden. Does my vote not count? Am I nobody? That prompted a torrent of racial epithets. One woman in a pink MAGA shirt yelled, you hear that, guys? This nigger voted for Joe Biden. Then the crowd, perhaps around 20 people, joined in screaming, boo, fucking nigger. No one had ever, ever called me a nigger while wearing the uniform of a Capitol Police officer. In the days following the attempted insurrection, other black officers shared with me their own stories of racial abuse on January 6th. One officer told me he had never, and in his, his entire 40 years of life, been called a nigger to his face. And that streak ended on January 6th. Okay, so now we get to find out what life is really like for the LGBTQ community in Arizona MAGA country by talking to an everyday gay person who lives there. our segment called Everyday People, where we get to talk to an everyday person from a different country, area, industry, or lifestyle than us. In the rotted age of social media, we all weigh in on issues completely removed from our own lives, from the conflict between Israel and Palestine to the MAGA takeover of states like Arizona and Florida. But we don't really know what the fuck we're talking about until we hear from everyday people involved in those situations. When we think of Arizona, we are instantly flooded with thoughts of delicious chain restaurants, mm. John McCain's family privilege, rich kid universities, Mormon compounds, MAGA vote recounts, and Kirsten Cinema in tragic pink outfits <laughs> pretending she's an Elle Woods bisexual Democrat <laughs> while she hijacks democracy with her incessant thirst. <laughs> I was born and raised in Southern California, and my parents lived in the mountains of Arizona for 10 years. And honestly, every state on the road trip route from California to Louisiana has a special place in my heart, including and especially Arizona. And Julie loves it because it has a million pig sanctuaries. <laughs> 
True. But we've always wondered what it would be like to actually live in Arizona, especially as a person in the LGBTQ community. It might seem silly. It's just Arizona. It's not like it's living on the moon. But at the same time, no one knows unless they live there. Well, we're going to find out all of that and more because today we're talking to one very special everyday gay living in Arizona named Erica Tor Aviance. Now, in the LGBT community, Erica Tor is known for being an iconic drag visionary, celebrated visual artist, and all-around legendary chanteuse. Not only is Erica one of our oldest and most authentic friends in this business, she's a muse... And an inspiration on another level. So without further ado, she's a magical polymath drag wizard enchanting Arizona every day that she's there. Please welcome Erica Tor Aviance. Hey, hey Erica. Holy shit. <laughs> How does anyone live up to an intro like that? Oh my God, I love you two so much. How the hell are you doing? We miss you. <laughs> yeah. We're- oh, I miss you guys too. Isn't it so bizarre that we were all together on the, the <laughs> official night that Joe Biden was called the winner? I know. It's appropriate. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Sitting at Hamburger Fucking Mary's <laughs> of all weird places. Uh, so right off the bat, give our yeah. 14 listeners the Erica Tour Aviance origin story. Do you still have Aviance attached or no? Yeah. Okay. I will always. Okay, good. So, I'm always, always and forever a part of the House of Aviance. So, um, the House of Aviance is a ballroom. Well, started out as a ballroom house, but it was. It also started out as a protest house because the ballroom scene. It started out in D.C. Um, and the ballroom scene was very segregated, just like everything else, <laughs> and was had become sort of a one note, uh, one trick pony. And the mother of my house, Mother Juan Aviance did not see that. Um, it was one of the first houses to have, to be integrated, uh, to have people of different races within the house and to also kind of break out of the norms of conventional ball culture because we always like to, we love to make ourselves into little groups and then exclude other people from those groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what we love to do as humans and that is what was happening. But the House of Aviance, they would do things like uh, show up to balls, uh, walk for a category, then sit in the middle of the runway and play jacks. Stuff like that. Um, so like, just as kind of a thumbs, like a, like a thumb in the nose to the convention of what was going on. And eventually, like when I came into the house, it did not walk balls anymore. Um, it became a nightlife organization, a collective of like-minded artists, um, visual music artists, uh, people that were working in nightlife and nightlife adjacent who kind of all had the same sort of um, artistic vision um, as evidenced the most by probably the most, one of the most successful members, Kevin Aviance. Mm. Okay, tell us where you were born, where your parents were born. How did you end up in Arizona from New York, which is where we met you? Mm-hmm. I was born in a small town in New Hampshire called Portsmouth. It's a coastal town. Oh. And uh, it was actually, it was a very small town, but at the time, it was really actually a great place to grow up. There, had a, there was a wonderful... Um, you grew up there? 
I grew up there. I oh my God, I have to make this about me for a second. I'm getting like Brandy or Fine Girl vibes. Like, what do you mean by a coastal town? Like, your parents were just like having some romance in some seaside town? <laughs> it was a coast. Like, it's the, in New Hampshire, there's only two towns. On, the coast of New Hampshire is tiny. I just mean it's like it's on the coast. There's only two towns in New Hampshire on the coast, and my town was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually, call, they used to call it in the 70s, 60s and 70s, they called it Little San Francisco because of the huge gay population. What? It was a port town, and wow. there were, so I grew up with amongst uh, the remnants of that society. It wasn't like that quite as much anymore, but that was still there. There was amazing local art. Um, I grew up, there was a place wow. called the Elvis Room that was a stop on ma- every major punk tour. So it was like this amazing juxtaposition between cobblestone streets, wooden signs, historical, like, laws maintaining a historical environment, and, uh, you know, punks with mohawks and chains walking around. It was really... <laughs> It was quite a place to grow up. Um, but I, I auditioned for NYU for the dance department, and I got in so on a scholarship, and I packed my shit up. And at 18, um, I wasn't even 18 yet. I turned 18 once I moved to into the dorms. Um, and I immediately uh, started going out because I was fascinated with... It was the time of the club kit, and they were on all the shows, on, on like Maury and all the shows mm. and I was obsessed <laughs> with it I was obsessed with it I want, I was like I want to do that oh. um, so I immediately sought out nightlife the first I, I moved there on a Friday Saturday night I went and stood in line to get into tunnel um, <laughs> mm. for three hours <laughs> um, and uh, it was life I mean, it was everything that I ever could have imagined it was beyond my wildest dreams and I was immediately in love, um, and wanted to just live there. I wanted to live at the nightclub. (laughs) And uh, I noticed pretty straight off that after, you know, watching people walk by me in line for three hours, that the people that were not waiting in line were all dressed up. Mm. So I was like, I want to, that's, that's, that sounds good to me. Let me put on a look. So that's how I was going to ask you what, what you wore that first night when you went. So now you're going to like put a look together and, Start working and moting fools to the ground. <laughs> That's what we're yeah. going to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. So I'm in, like, uh, I, um, after college, I stopped dancing because of severe anxiety attacks. And this is something that I haven't shared until recently. I'm kind of on a mental health journey, like being honest about, like, my, where I've been and the struggles that I've had. Uh, I was unable to audition. Um, because I had such horrible anxiety. Um, I would break out in hives, like throw up, mm. shake, unbe- unable to do things. It happened dozens of times, and it was so terrible to the point where, like, I can't do this anymore. I can't audition. Luckily, at the same time, you know, I had nightlife, and uh, it was an outlet. It was an outlet to perform. I was able to perform mostly because it was completely socially acceptable to be to be, like, shit-faced and fucked up. I was so, about to say, yeah, because you can do it, basically, and you can drink and not... Yeah. Yeah, which and helps anxiety, great, I mean, you know? Yep, it does. It really helps with anxiety, and, and for years, um, that's what I did. I mean, I made a name for myself. I met Johnny, uh, performed with Johnny McGovern for years, went on the road, uh, met you guys. 
Okay, so t- walk us through then. You were were you already out at that time? Like out, out as in gay? Oh yeah. Okay, so tell so tell us <laughs> oh, tell us. I your... was so confused. I was like, what do you mean out? I was never in. Were you um, okay? So you were just. I was, <laughs> I was never in. I came out very early, and also thanks to be, from where I was from, there was an organization uh, that I started going to when I was thirteen years old oh. called Seacoast Outright, and it was a group a meeting that was held uh, on Friday nights, downtown Portsmouth for gay youth. And, um, and I was able to participate in this. So I came out super early. I was not out with to my parents, which is hilarious because I have a gay brother and a gay sister. Uh, I did. My family never talked about it. It was, Every every family gathering was a thousand ways to talk about the weather. No one ever. They brought their partners. <laughs> they brought their partners to family gatherings, and no one ever said one word about it. Crazy. Wow. Were they older but than like, you? Yeah. So they were already like having their partners, and you were thirteen. Like I'm gonna go head off to the <laughs> seacoast out uh-huh. time. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, and then do you have are those all the siblings, or do you have more siblings that are? Do you have any straight? I have tons of siblings. Oh, okay. <laughs> So you have some great um, ones. Yeah, because I'm like, I have two sides. Because my parents were never married. So, like, I have two. Oh. My mother has four other kids. And my dad has um, four other kids. So, like, I'm right. And I'm right smack dab in the middle. And they're all much older than I am. Mm. No, well, not much. Like, my mom's kids are a little bit older. My dad's kids are a lot older. Mm. <laughs> okay, so where's, were your, but your family, they weren't, like, religious or anything, were they? Or your, your parents no. or your extended family? I was raised Catholic. Um, I was actually an altar boy as well. Never touched, even though oh. I was so cute. God, yeah, you're um, so attractive. <laughs> I know, right? How dare. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, I really, I mean, I got to wear a dress in front of everybody mm. with, on, a, on a weekly basis mm. <laughs> without yeah. being, you know, uh, chastised or mm-hmm. derided in any fashion. Um, but eventually, I was also never, I've also never been a believer. I've never believed in anything. Uh, I've never believed in Santa. I've never believed in Santa Claus. I never believed in the Easter bunny. Mm. I never believed in Jesus. I never believed in God. It just never, none of that shit made any sense to me as far back as I can remember. So I've never, uh, eventually I just asked too many questions at the CCD, which is Catholic Christian doctrine, which is like Sunday school. Um, and uh, I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I found out that my father hated church as well. I was like, I want to stop going. And he was like, I thought I only went because you were wanted to go. <laughs> so we stopped going to church. So no, I guess the, the lo- that long answer for a short question, no, we were not religious. Were your, were your parents like political? Was there political talk in the house? Siblings, parents, grandparents, anything? Was what it? about that my father? Town? My yeah. earliest political, my earliest political memory would be taken to uh, organizational meetings for the campaign of Jesse Jackson. Oh my God! What is this upbringing? Father, it's like amazing. <laughs> my father was really into the Jesse Jackson campaign. Wow. Um, and I remember I was very young, but I can remember going to meetings because he did like flyering and all kinds of, he did multiple, I went to like multiple, wasn't just one meeting, it was a bunch. Um, my dad was a member of the NAACP. Mm. Um, that's fucking cool. um, Yeah. Yeah. He he was, and was always very, uh, and I'm grateful for this. He was always very frank 
about his experiences mm. um, growing up in Mississippi. He was old. I had an old dad. He was born in 1924 in wow. Grenada, Mississippi. You can only, I, whatever you imagine that he saw, it's a million times worse. Um, crazy. And wow. He was always very frank about about all of that. He would not go any further south than uh, Pennsylvania. He just wouldn't do it. He yeah. wouldn't travel any further. Like, huh. if we wanted to go on a vacation, I, it just wouldn't happen. He would not go. He didn't even go back when his dad died. He would not go to the south. Wow. Um, okay, so let's get into everyday Arizona. Yeah. So okay. tell us, first of all, where were you living during the 2016 Trump-Hillary nightmare <laughs> we were in l well i was in l.a still okay so you had um, you had moved to l.a in 2015 yes that just moved sucked. to l.a in 2015 <laughs> yeah, that's just I mean, a sucky fucking time to i mean what yeah. a terrible yeah i guess it would be terrible to live anywhere at that point mm-hmm. but l.a went into a huge depression <laughs> yep yeah yep everybody was very depressed i mean that was just yep. um <sighs> it, it, well you know what i had sort of actively avoided uh, participating or even thinking about politics whatsoever up until that point in my life. Um, and now that is no longer the case, <laughs> which, is a, which is a double-edged sword. Um, I like to be informed, but along with that information comes a constant state of seething rage. Yeah. So... <laughs> Um, mm. you know, so it's a double-edged sword, but mm. no, yeah, I was in LA. I had moved away from New York because New York had become too hard and too heavy. I was having a lot of problems, uh, dealing with, uh, my mentals in New York. And, uh, I thought that I needed a change. I see now that I needed to change. <laughs> so I left New York and the only, if you, if you are a New Yorker, uh, then you know this, that living in New York uh, becomes more than where you live. It becomes who you are. And after a certain amount of time, you cannot conceive that life is even possible anywhere else besides New York City. And I was one of those people until I could not take it anymore. So, And then once you get to that point, the only other viable option is Los Angeles. <laughs> so, <laughs> And then how long were you here after Trump... One. Uh, three. I was only in Los Angeles for three years. Okay, so you moved it to Arizona in 2018. Yes. And what made you choose Arizona? Well, okay. it's funny. I had, um, a, a, in L.A., uh, I started to help a friend start a business uh, and then went through a really messy friend divorce. Um, and I was feeling something that really affected me very deeply. It kind of hollowed me out and left me a shell of a human. And I really didn't know what to do with myself um, because my whole identity was really wrapped up in this, this other person. Um, so yeah, that was I, sad. And at the time, uh, I was feeling very lost. And it just so happened that my oldest friend, uh, that I grew up with, that we've known, that I, this is my sister, that we've, I've known since we were babies, um, lived in Arizona, and uh, had a surprise late-in-life baby. Uh, <gasps> she phoned me. She phoned me 
and was like, we were FaceTiming and she tilted the phone down uh, to the picture of her sonogram. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? She's like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. And I was like, uh, you know, I'm coming. Uh, I'm going to live. I want to be a part of this kid's life. It's nothing. I've always been terrified of babies and children. Um, and I've never been a part of a child's life, even though I'm related to tons of them. I've never been a part of any of their lives. Uh, never wanted to, was never interested. And I'm like, you know what? I'm getting older, and this will probably be my only chance. So why don't I and really... And do you, do you have a son me. or a daughter? <laughs> <laughs> His name is Atticus. Um, oh, how and, exciting. And uh, Atticus Jackson. He is fucking adorable. And so I'm he's two really now. glad is he that two I'm now? here. Mm-hmm. Oh, that what a great so, way to have a kid! I'm so, so jealous. I, know, I so love jealous. it. <laughs> so fucking jealous. Oh my god, that is like a dream come true. That it's is really perfect. cool. It's uh, it's amazing being um, an uncle, auntie, mm-hmm. whichever. Yeah. It's really, really cool. And I think it, it's great. It'll be great to have somebody like me around uh, <laughs> from, from from the jump. You yes. know what I mean? No, yep. for real. Yep. From the jump yes. to like see that this is just a part of life. Yeah. This is not anything to be scared of. Yeah. Um, and hopefully he'll avoid the pitfalls that so many of us, uh, yeah. that so many of our parents have fallen into yeah. uh, through lack of exposure. And um, so many of our so. friends are doing to their children as well. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. So what was the vibe in Arizona when Arizona was really into Trump? Yeah. Huh. The vibe, I was... It's hard to explain. I was expecting something else. I'd only been here to visit um, on holidays uh, in the past, and we had, I'd never really seen much of the city because my friend lives a uh, little bit, is, was, has always kind of been a suburb dweller, and we never really got into the heart of Phoenix. Um, so I didn't really know what was here or what to expect. Um, I found a thriving huge queer community, um, <laughs> which is unbelievable, uh, an extremely diverse drag scene um, of all ages and styles. Um, they have, there's, well, pre-COVID, there are 22 gay bars in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, my God. Uh, it's more than West Hollywood. So, <laughs> like, it's in Phoenix. It's really, there's a lot of gays here. Um, there's a lot of queer people here. Um, there's a lot of alternatives going on. So the the community that I settled into was very much that vibe. Now it does it like it's pocket. It does exist within a larger community of people who are conservative. It takes a lot to get used to seeing people with guns on their hips. Mm. I'm still not used to it. Wow. Um, but the I don't. It doesn't feel. Like, when I go to Florida, I feel unsafe. <laughs> it's the South. Yes. I do. Yeah. My, I have family. Yeah. You know, the white mm-hmm. side of my family lives mostly in Jacksonville, Florida. And mm-hmm. that place mm-hmm. feels terrible. Mm-hmm. I feel afraid mm-hmm. whenever I go there. Like, physically afraid. I feel very unsafe. Yeah. I've never had that feeling here. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's a different vibe. The Southwest has a different vibe. It's more of a fuck everybody vibe <laughs> than just a fuck you because you're this thing. Does that make sense? That's interesting. Yeah. That's kind of, that's a, revel- that's kind of a revelation. 
that's the vibe that I get from here. It's like, uh, I'm going to do what the fuck I want and fuck you. I don't care who you are rather than like, fuck you because you're this. Okay, so on that note, in California, the super liberals live in the Bay Area. The rich hippie liberals live in L.A. The rich Republicans live in Orange County. The poor Republicans live in Bakersfield. And the closeted Republicans live in Woodland Hills and Calabasas. <laughs> so give us the breakdown of Arizona, like the pocket, like the, of, you know, the queer Central community. Phoenix. Oh, so it's called Central Phoenix. That's just what it's that... In Central Phoenix, yeah. Downtown Central Phoenix. Uh, downtown and central phoenix um the as you go further out um it gets more conservative but then there are other places in arizona that are less conservative there are other pockets that i've been discovering that are really wild to experience um but yeah central phoenix uh it's where the i say the most queer community is localized and then as you go out it gets a little bit more and more and then uh scottsdale which people in phoenix call snotsdale (laughs) is where um is the rich kind of outlier where it which is mostly republican and or uh transplants from california who want to feel rich but no longer have the funds um (laughs) move to scottsdale and and uh paradise valley Oh, Paradise Valley. So if we wanted to get an Air, an Airbnb, you know, by all the gay clubs, we would just look in central Phoenix. Yeah, central Phoenix. Specifically, the gayborhood is called Melrose. Oh, Melrose. Melrose. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for Melrose. Yeah, Melrose. You're basically, you found this pocket, and so mm-hmm. you're able to, to avoid, like, MAGA psychos and trolls for the most part. For the most part, it's around, it's always around. Um, you know, the hats, the bumper stickers, uh, the guns, it's everywhere. But, and I don't know, I feel a rant bubbling up. I'll try to keep it to a minimum. <laughs> but here's where Well, what's I what am. we're looking for? Yeah. Here's where I am. Uh, I am not mad at those people. I am not mad at the man sitting next to me on the bus with his oxygen tank and a gun on his hip and a Trump hat on his head. I am not angry at those people. I feel nothing but pity for them. I'm not, my anger, my seething rage is directed solely at those who are responsible. That man did not make this world shitty. That man did not do any of this stuff. The people that are responsible are elected officials, billionaires, and billionaire corporations. And that is the only direction that I keep my rage pointed. I do not point it at others. Have y'all heard of, um, you've heard of, uh, Willie Lynch and the Willie Lynch letters? No. No. You know what this is? Nope. It's, um, to make a slave is the title of it. And basically this was a a slave owner in the 1700s who gave a speech about how to, uh, systematize oppression and take the responsibility for oppression off of the few and spread it out over the entire oppressed population. So after generations, they do it themselves. Mm. And it's very effective. And what it entails is treating one portion of the population a little bit better than the rest and turning them all against one another. So the people that you treat a little bit better end up defending the oppressors, and the other people end up hating those people and taking all of 
the responsibility off of the people who actually have the power. So all of my rage is directed at people with that power, and I am constantly wary of those who would direct my rage to others of people like myself who have no power, which is that man on the bus. He is the deceived. The deceived. He is not the deceiver. He is the deceived. He is not the deceiver. Our anger, all of our anger, should be directed to the deceivers and not the deceived. They have no power, just like we do. Our elected officials have power. Billionaires have power. Billionaire corporations have power. And those are the only directions that our rage, in my opinion, should be projected. Okay. Do you feel scared, like, a little bit inside, just thinking that some of these people... While they do, you know, seem utterly brainwashed and we're just watching like the Capitol, like the hearings about what happened on January 6th. Mm -hmm. And you can see these people, the video, the body cam footage of these these guys attacking an officer. Horrible. And then he says, I have kids. And he said in the hearing he was just trying to appeal to their humanity. And they stopped when he said, I have kids. And it was like, and I told Julia, I was like, wow, it was like, he, it was like, he woke them up from their fucking, like they were under like a mind control. And so that being said, and I, and I, we do see that. Um, and we completely agree with what you're saying. That wouldn't mm-hmm. stop me from being probably scared sitting next to the guy with the oxygen <laughs> tank. Cause I'd be like, what if he's under mind control now? And I mean, some of these people are like, wildly wildly yeah they're they're in the actual act of blaming black people and immigrants and they are violent yes i have not come across uh that feeling um that particular uh, personally that particular feeling of being around in an environment where i felt like someone was going to be physically violent towards me um but yeah, I mean, I'm human, of course. I see, and I see a lot less. I've only seen a couple Confederate flags. Uh, I see a lot less here than I, in Florida. They're on every fucking street corner. But like here, I see a lot less of that. That makes me afraid. Mm. That's right. the only thing. That's the only symbol. Because that's blatant. That, that's that blatant like racism. A, it's like a swast- yeah, it's like a swastika. Yeah, that's those says, are the only. Yeah. Yeah. Those symbols, to me, it's the same. Yep. Uh, it, it strikes fear into my heart, uh, and it makes me run in the other direction. It's a huge sign that says, you are not welcome, you are in danger. So that, um, I, that is what makes me afraid. Um, I, the MAGA shit makes me sad. The guns make me sad. Um, and I, I don't know, I thought I would be afraid of the guns, they don't really scare me. Uh, they make me very, very sad. Mm. But this is where that these people feel like they have to walk around like this. Um, these people have been taken in. They got took. They've been lied to. They've been deceived. And it, um, is the vibe um, of the of the recount, because that's a thing that's actively happening there, is that something that's... that's Because they make it such a big deal on the news, <laughs> yeah. but maybe like day to day it's like not even a thing in Arizona? Day to day, it's not, it's not even a thing. I mean, I don't hear much about it on the local level at all. Um, I, the, the vibe that I got is that it's pretty much universally seen as a whole bunch of bullpucky. <laughs> so I like, I don't, that's the vibe that I get. 
in the, um, but with because- all that said, though, Erica, with all that, <laughs> with everything you just laid out before us, yeah. mm-hmm. what's it like performing drag in Phoenix? <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, really. No, but seriously, like with all that that's going on, everything that we're fucking going through, and you're in Arizona, even though you're in the pocket. There's guns and MAGA hats and oxygen tanks and whatever the fuck else. You're out there performing in motherfucking drag. It's also a huge city, very spread out. Right. It's got to be hard to get people. I mean, what's going on? What's how's that doing? Amazing. Amazing. It's really great. I have to say that the whole um, it was difficult uh, with masks and not masks. Mm. And mostly the, I would say the, you know, there's only a very small portion of people that wear masks in the bars anymore. It is not a requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, so the places that I am performing, people are generally unmasked. And it is daunting. And it is, <laughs> um, yeah. it, is a, it definitely, it does affect me. But here's the thing. I uh, have forgotten how much of an attention whore that I am. <laughs> Mm. And it feels so good mm-hmm. to be on stage and to have people clap for you and people tell you how much they love your show um, that it's, I'm quickly getting over it. I myself am <laughs> very much vaccinated. Um, and everyone that I surround myself with is vaccinated and everyone that I work with is vaccinated. I do know, because I'm not an idiot, that not everyone that I come in contact with will be vaccinated. And, and it is vaccinated daunting. people are still getting it. Right. We're like still wearing uh, masks yeah. even. <laughs> and mm-hmm. We weren't even that I into know. masks. I mean, I wasn't, we weren't, we were doing it, but mm-hmm. now I'm like stressed out if I don't have, I feel like I the Delta is going to get me. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know what? I would, I still wear my mask. Um, when I go anywhere that I'm not, it's besides when I'm performing. Um, I still wear my mask to the grocery store, uh, anywhere that I know that I'm surrounded by strangers, aside from the bar when I'm performing. Um, yeah, I but still you're wear on stage. Mask. I mean, you're pretty, you're, you're on stage, mm-hmm. so you're at least pretty protected, you know? I'm pretty protected, but I have been interacting with people that I do not know on a limited basis. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's scary. And I hope... But like, I'm just get. I dr- I don't know. Is it selfish? I suppose. No, I we don't. We so don't much, think so. I derive no. so much joy from performing and interacting. Um, I had COVID, and I've been vaccinated, so I don't know. I just. It's a hard. It's hard. How many yeah. people there when you go to the grocery store? Would you say percentage wise are wearing masks? Oh, now it's probably. I mean, it's over half. Oh, that's good. But it's, it's definitely not everyone like it used to be. When I go to the grocery store, I'd say like maybe 65, 70% of people are still wearing their mask, which is shocking. I thought the second that they dropped the mandate that everyone would stop. But people, I don't know. I'm constantly surprised by Arizona. I've been surprised by Arizona uh, since I moved here um, pretty much on a daily basis. All of my preconceptions about what went on here and what it would feel like we're wrong. <laughs> so um, I, I'm constantly surprised. I, I, I'm happy. It makes me 
when I go into the grocery store, it gives me a little bit of hope to see the amount of people that are still wearing their masks. Well, that's, um, that's kind of like a hopeful thought yeah. just across the board. And that's yeah. the whole reason that we wanted to talk to you and that we'd even do the yeah. segment. It's like, we don't know what it's like living in these places. We don't know really what's going on on the ground. And the fact that we all have preconceived notions about every everywhere. And then yeah. you mm-hmm. end up going there for the most part. Sometimes it's true in the South. But sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it is true. Sometimes it's true. <laughs> but sometimes it's not. And it's like to be able to keep an open mind and an open heart to all that stuff is so important. And, you know, I think right now, yeah. especially people are having a hard time doing that. I think, yeah, it's a, it's very human to not to have difficulty um, seeing yourself in situations that you're not often in. Uh, you know, we relate everything into our own experiences. Yeah. And, uh, it's difficult to see and it was for me, but having been here um, and experienced the best of and seen the worst of what has had to offer here, um, I'm happy with my decision and I'd be happier every day. We love you so much, Erica. Thank you. Oh my God. This was wonderful. Thank I, you love, for t- I love talking to you guys. <laughs> Thank you for doing this stupid ass podcast. <laughs> oh, you're fu- You're so welcome. And it's not, now tell our 14 listeners where they can find you and your gorgeous voice i want to say like for the record i believe and through you drag is going to and it is necessary drag is going to evolve it is gonna require motherfuckers can sing i'm not even interested in seeing you put on makeup and lip sync bitch i want to hear your voice that's it that's it and it's gonna be directly from you oh i um well, you can find me on my every at Erica Torres everything. But I perform. I just started a new monthly party that's been sold out every time we've done it. Um, it's all live singing. It's called Get It, and I do that with my Arizona sisters Pandora Distranger and uh, Jen Tinkle. This show is fucking awesome. And <laughs> if you're in Arizona uh, or even close to Arizona, you should fucking come. It's the fourth Sunday of every month and it's at a bar called The Rock and it's called Get It. Okay, spell Erica Tour at Erica Tour for everyone. Okay. E-R-I-C-K-A-T-O-U-R-E Erica Tour. Oh, Erica Tour. Oh, E-R-I-C-K-A-T-O-U-R-E That's my name. Now it's time for So There's That. All right, so this is the part of the show where Julie has to find a So There's That moment that's happening because of or in spite of the diarrhea toilet Republicans and the ignorant Facebook Fox News army that follows them. She hates doing it because it's fucking impossible to find an uplifting story to end the show on, (laughs) especially when half the country are mind-controlled members of a morally bankrupt right-wing cult and the other half are whiny, entitled virtue signalers who are too busy fighting Bernie battles with their own side to win the war. But the COVID Olympics are happening and... 
Sports has always been the great microcosm of the battle between the liberals and conservatives in this country. And when you take that microcosm and super spread it abroad, well, you get a whole lot of philosophical debates over right and wrong, tradition versus progress, and of course, the age old, why the fuck are we still doing the Olympics when Russia was caught cheating for years and it didn't even matter? And the whole thing is clearly corrupt and antiquated and barbaric and a waste of money and time. So let's just keep our racist, sexist, homophobic, problematic corporate sports empire here in America where it belongs and let all the other countries keep theirs too. I apologize to all the Olympophiles out there. The U.S. men's basketball team lost to France, ending a 25-game winning streak that dated all the way back to 2004. So I'm more irritated about the Olympics this year than usual, which is saying a lot because I've been over it for quite a while. But this year is a hot fucking mess, and I really need a good Olympic size, so there's that to get me into my inspirational feels, mm. now. Well, that's the first I'm hearing of it, and I'm I, I live I live the the Americans need to get need to get pounded down a little bit. But you know we what like I mean? all you of the guys on the USA down. basketball team. Uh, that's true, but like the the ego, the cocky, the arrogance needs needs a check. And I think the fact that France beat you in basketball, you might need to go back to the court and like figure it the fuck out. You know what I mean? Uh, not to say I don't like them, but we all need a little. Humility every now and again. You know what I'm saying? Just saying. Well, if we didn't have the Olympics, then France couldn't beat you. <laughs> That's true. That's so we true. should keep basketball here that where it was invented. It's true. Now, it's a good thing that you talked about the Olympics and sports because this actually has a connect connective tissue. <laughs> <laughs> now, I played soccer when I was a kid. And part of my personal joy in playing soccer were the uniforms. Okay, cool t-shirts with my name, stripes on the shoulder, shin pads, cleats, cool shorts, cool socks. I felt like a warrior. And then because of what I wore, I acted like one. Now those outfits completely transformed my attitude, or should I say enhanced it, because even without that attitude, I still acted like I was a fucking gladiator. And you still love uniforms. <laughs> I still of like any a, and all sorts. a certain type, yes. And a, certainly a sporting uniform. I like, I like it. And I know when I'm wearing it, I will become something else. I just will. Now, I remember looking at if the- If construction is considered a sport, you like that <laughs> uniform too. <laughs> yeah. I like to think that I can do the things of which that thing you're wearing, and yet I really can't do any of it. However- I remember looking at the girls who played field hockey at the time, which is pretty self-explanatory. If you don't know what field hockey is, it's hockey on a field. And what do they wear? Skirts. Really? They wear fucking skirts. And I just will never forget looking at them. My sister played field hockey and they have like these field hockey sticks, but they're not like regular hockey sticks. They're shorter, but they're harder. They're really hard. They're like That's like playing heavy. golf. Because on, on hockey, you're sliding a puck on ice. What right. do you want to field? You're hitting a ball hard. And running in skirts. So <laughs> I'm just like, fuck off. I, well, you could get me to, at that point, you could have gotten me to do anything sport-wise that had a ball and a team where I could dominate and scare people. But it wasn't going to be field hockey because I wasn't wearing a fucking skirt. So then, of course, you've got tennis players who are forced to wear skirts, figure skaters, gymnasts, all of these things. They're wearing these outfits. I just didn't understand it. So time goes by and we're still seeing this bullshit in all these sports where the male counterparts get to wear shorts, pants or T-shirts, even track and field, even turn on track and field today. You're going to see women in underwear smaller than a thong. The men are not going down like that. They just are not. So recently on this show, I complained about the gymnast outfits 
and there was Simone Biles celebrated American gymnast on the floor getting more air doing this thing on the floor. It was incredible. She gets in the air. She's flipping around. It's absolutely unbelievable. And yet she looks like she's wearing a maxi pad with shoulder straps. Okay. You complained about Michaela Maroney. Oh, in a commercial. In a commercial. That too. Why is she in a bathing suit on someone's house? (laughs) Exactly. It is absolutely egregious and ridiculous. The fact that female athletes have to perform and compete and have the eye of the tiger with their pussies out is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Female athletes, in my opinion, in so many sports have been hindered by their drag queen level fucking costumes. And I'm fucking over it. So I was thrilled to see this week some new Bengals leotards and bikinis hit the fan and it was very exciting. Before I want, before I go any further, I must thank one of our loyal Patreon and regular weed listeners, Andione, who posted this story on our Patreon community page. Norway beach handball team fined 1,295 euro for wearing shorts instead of bikinis at the European Championship. What the fuck is handball? Exactly. It's a it's a subdivision basically of the Olympics. It's not a it's not an Olympic. Uh, sport it's a sub olympic it's like a youth olympics it's on the beach oh so oh it's kids it's yeah i think you have teens i think it's teens so uh and i didn't way to make force teenage girls to wear a bikini (laughs) which is also the same as volleyball and it's the same exact thing so beach volleyball it's the same thing they have to wear bikini bottoms now i saw this and needed to I couldn't even look. I couldn't even look at it. I couldn't. I had to look very briefly and then I had to go watch cartoons because the level of my rage when it comes to this stuff is is unfounded. So I'm re- so then I go back to it a couple days later and I see that uh, I see that online. There's a headline and it says pink offers to pay fines for Norwegian women's beach handball team after they refuse to wear bikini bottoms. Oh, my fucking God. (laughs) Now, why Norway? I have no idea, (laughs) but it needed to start some way. Apparently, the Norwegian handball team had been complaining for years, but not to get too deep into the women's fucking sexist uniform K-hole. The shit is it. It's it even reaches down to the Paralympics. Okay, the Paralympics where they're wearing bikini bottoms. Just think about that for a second. So let's focus on beach handball. There's no way one of your pussy lips doesn't pop out when you're, like, diving and stuff. Exactly. Exactly. They have to blur out, even on Big Brother, when someone, like, falls and slips and falls and they're in a bikini, they blur it out because it's like, oh, you know. Or a tit. Or even a tit. Because they're also wearing sports bras or half shirts. Okay? So the International Governing Federation requires women beach handball players to wear literally, quote, unquote, bikini bottoms. With a quote unquote close fit, with a side width that can be a maximum of ten centimeters you're, or three to nine inches. You're maximizing the side of the side, <laughs> yeah. so it can't even be like a boy short. Yes, go fuck yourself. That's correct. Now I would urge everyone listening to also Google beach handball and look at and find out what it is. <laughs> not only find out what it is, and or beach ball, volleyball too. And you are going to die when you see some of the bikini bottoms. Because in your mind, you're thinking, well, fine, okay, they're bikini bottoms and they're putting it up, but at least their butt's covered. Nope. Mm -mm. Some of them are thongs. Now, a spokeswoman for the International Handball Federation said she did not know the reason for the rule. She does. Nobody knows why this is a rule. Not one person knows. Not the head of the federation. Not her. Not anyone knows why they're doing this to women. They don't have a reason. But we all know the reason. The reason 
is sexism. But it's not the it's not the Norwegian women's handball. It, they got fined, but it's the handball, I guess, Olympic. So the Norwegian, the handball team got fined because they by the by the main handball right. association. Yes, correct. It's their rules. It's it, their rules. Right. Right. So now we're trying to figure out how are we going to change these rules? Because they're not Olympic just handball. rules. It's they're Olympic rules, even if that's it's right. a, a subdivision of the Olympics. Yes. The Olympics got to go. Yeah. It's Why the don't you try finding Russia for fucking mm-hmm, cheating every mm-hmm, year? Mm-hmm. How about find them? How about it? Now, the ripple effect has begun. In April, three of the German women's gymnastics teams wore full length bodysuits in competition, which is technically allowed by International Gymnastics Federation, but has been typically used only for religious purposes. The German gymnast Sarah Voss said, quote, to do splits and jumps, sometimes the leotards don't cover everything, as you just said. Right. She goes, sometimes they slip. I feel my underwear go give me a wedgie in the front all the time. I'm like, great, when my lips is out. Exactly, exactly. And just can you imagine, can you imagine also... These are 15, 16, 13, 14, 15. These are teenage girls. And it's and you wonder why uh, Larry Nasser molested every single one of them for over 25 years. It's fucking bullshit. So um, as of now, Pink has offered to pay all the fines for the Norwegian handball team. But the team paid their own because clearly they've got like tons of money. <laughs> God, Norway is so rich. Um, so... <laughs> They're like, thanks, but no thanks. And it, if I may say, just across the board, um, this is something that is, it, 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 there's the, like I said, there's the ripple effect, and this is hopefully going to start a change across the board in Olympic sports and all women's sports. Because, I'm sorry, even in tennis, well, every time we watch tennis, I'm like, why are they wearing fucking skirts? And it started. It makes it, no sense. It started first with Serena Williams. And they were, like, coming for her with what she wanted to wear. Right. And it was bullshit. Absolute bullshit. So the president of the handball society said he would look into the policy, see about making the necessary changes in athlete uniform and significant efforts will be made in order to further promote the sport the best way possible for everyone, regardless of gender. Now, that's a good step forward, but we'll see. Ultimately, in sports, men and women should be wearing the same fucking thing. Obviously, with various amendments here and there, a woman doesn't need a jock strap. whatever, however you want to say it. I'm sure, you know what, there's pieces and parts where you don't have to wear it. But I think in gymnastics, it's pretty clear if the guys can wear a tight tank top and shorts, then so can the women. And that goes across the board in any sport. If the men in tennis are wearing shorts and a polo top, then so can the women. If in handball the men are wearing shorts and a tank top so can the women so i'm happy to see that things might be changing soon the sexist practice needs to stop and at the end of the day i am also pretty excited that at least one person even though it was pink which i just (laughs) think is bizarre and the norwegian team are sort of on the forefront of this pink tweeted i'm very proud of the norwegian female beach handball team for protesting the very sexist rules about their uniform she wrote the european handball federation should be fined for sexism so there's that So 
that's it for this episode of Dumb Gay Politics. Thank you guys for listening to our stupid podcast. We love and appreciate all 14 of you so much, especially now. If you're new here and you like us, but you'd rather not hear about politics, please consider checking out our Patreon podcast. Our Patreon podcasts are completely different than this. There's no politics, no ads, no structure, no rules. And best of all, there's no pressure to join the Patreon. Remember, they're confusing and chaotic and <laughs> they're cheap or whatever the fuck. Cheap and chaotic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's only a dollar if you sign up for one hour long podcast a week and two dollars for two hour long podcasts per week. And when you sign up, you will immediately get access to our huge back catalog, which has hundreds of hours of timeless, COVID-free, stress-free podcasts. Plus, you get the philanthropic satisfaction of knowing that with one single dollar, you are contributing to what has become basically our sole source of income in this pandemic. But if being pressured to help us pay our bills out of the kindness of your heart isn't working, then go to patreon.com slash dumbgaypolitics and listen to a free one to see if you like it. All you have to do is scroll down the lock podcast until you get to September. Look for the episode called Windows Up Sing Time and then just press play. You can listen to the whole hour right there from your phone or computer. You don't have to download anything or sign up for anything. You just see if you fucking like it. Which is great. And if you decide to sign up, listening to the podcast is super easy. You just go to patreon.com slash dumbgaypolitics and it's all right there. Or you can do everything on the Patreon app, which is free and available in every app store. Or, in terms of listening, the easiest thing to do is to import our Patreon podcast RSS feed into iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast so all your podcasts are in one place. Once you sign up, you never have to go to the Patreon website again if you don't want to. It'll just show up in your podcast feed once you import it. I know... Automatically. Yeah, automatically. I when my in my thing, in my app, it's like I have the our podcast and then all of a sudden the Patreon one pops up. Yeah. <laughs> you know you're curious, so you might as well try it because we're literally never going to stop this desperate, annoying begging. And as always, it's been real and it's been fun. But mostly it's been gay and it's been dumb. And Nance Pelos. Always. And forever. How'd you do, I? See, you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little broad dime because when you knocked, he thought you were the candy man. Don't get strung up by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man. By the light of day But by night I'm one hell of a lover I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania <laughs> Let me show you a rhyme And maybe play you a sign You look like you're both pretty grooving Want something visual that's not too abysmal. We could take in an old Steve Reeves movie. I'm glad we caught you at home. Could we use your phone? We're both in a bit of a hurry. Right. We'll just say where we are, then go back to the car. We don't want to be any worry. Well, you got caught with a flat wheel. How about that? Well, babies, don't you panic. By the light of the night, it'll all seem all right. 
I'll get you a satanic mechanic I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania <laughs> Why don't you stay for the night? Night Or maybe a bite Night I could show you my favorite obsession I've been making a man with blonde hair and a tan And he's good for relieving my tension I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania Hey, hey, I'm just a sweet transvestite From transsexual Transylvania So, come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. I see you shiver with anticipation. But maybe the rain is really to blame. So I'll remove the cause. <laughs> But not the symptom.